following is a presentation of the Church of the Living God in Traverse City, Michigan. So, uh, last week we got partway through the Beatitudes, which we were tying into Hebrews. So this is toward the end of Hebrews chapter 13. The author of Hebrews talks to his audience and says, y'all are in this camp of sorts. And in this camp, you're living in a place where you're not experiencing what God has intended for you to experience. For his audience, which was mostly Jewish, this was probably still being mired in what we call the old covenant, some legalism, different things like that. For the Greek or Roman part of his audience, it would have had to do with coming in from worship of other gods. So he's saying, you're living in this place and you think it's a good place, but it's not. I need to move you outside of this camp where you're comfortable. I'm going to take you into what he called a permanent city. And this is a place that starts now. As we give our lives to Christ, we become part of the family of God. We live in this place now that's solid. The Bible uses a lot of language of a firm foundation. And we're getting glimpses now of the life to come, this new heaven and new earth where we see that in its fullness. So as we were talking last week, I mentioned that instead of coming up with a list of my own devising, we were just going to go to Jesus' presentation of what we call the Beatitudes. What life is like in the kingdom of God? What does it mean to be blessed, to participate in life with God on this side of heaven? So I'm going to go through the Beatitudes very quickly. We're going to clarify what makarios means, and then we'll jump back in where we left off next week. So this is from Matthew 5, beginning in verse 3. Blessed are the spiritually poor, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn or those who repent, they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, they will be shown God's mercy. Blessed are those who are pure in heart because they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. The kingdom of heaven is theirs. So I mentioned last week, blessed. It's a tough word in English to really capture what the word means in Greek. It's a word makarios, which describes a believer who is in an enviable or fortunate position because they've received God's provision or they've received God's favor. And this extends God's grace and the benefits in life and the kingdom to them. So I'm going to use makarios a lot of the time as I talk this morning. I just think it's a better word than blessed. So we covered the first three Beatitudes last week. So briefly, makarios are the poor in spirit. These are those who recognize their sinfulness. Some of your translations might simply say poor, which we can confuse with, hey, it's makarios if you don't have much money. That is not the proper translation here. I mean, you can be blessed without much money, without much money as long as you have Christ. But the idea here is people who recognize the impoverishment of their soul without Christ. And they're blessed, they're makarios, because in that recognition, we're drawn to repentance, we're drawn to go toward Christ. Think of this as the entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And the makarios are the mourners. These are the people who now grieve this spiritual impoverishment. They're broken by it. And rather than it pushing them away from God or causing them to simply curl up in this ball of shame, it pushes them toward a Savior, the one who can make things right. 
And then the third one we covered was Makarios are the meek or the harnessed. The image was of a bull or a horse that takes the strength that they have. They're harnessed into a very particular kind of mission. And now their strength, instead of bringing chaos to the world, brings organization to the world, brings life. So this is the idea of us harnessing ourselves into the service of Christ. And the Bible says, blessed are the meek, they inherit the earth. And I think it's this idea of stewardship, that in this life we learn what it means to be stewarded. uh, And in the world to come, in a sense, we become these stewards of this world. So that's the first three Beatitudes. They're the foundation, an awareness of our sinfulness, A heart response that is broken leads us to repentance and moves us toward Christ. And then we are willing to harness our lives into the service of Jesus. So this takes us to our next beatitude. Makarios are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So I think of this as kind of a worldview shift. I think we tend to hunger and thirst for things that aren't righteous. So righteousness is this idea that we are, that things are made right. There's a righteousness in which Jesus has made things right between us and God. There's also this righteous life that we can live with others as we are committed to figuring out what it looks like to live in right standing with other people. But we get distracted and we begin to long for things that aren't actually righteous so we can long for money. We can long for things. We can long for honor or reputation. We can long for physical pleasures. This hunger and thirst analogy in the Bible, I think, is very purposeful. If you've ever been very hungry or very thirsty, thirsty, you, thirsty, uh, man, I got to settle down this morning. You know that this craving just pushes you. It becomes what you think about. It consumes your thoughts, and the longer it goes, the more it begins to direct your actions. This becomes the thing that you want, and everything else takes a back seat. So Jesus says, listen, Makarios are those who don't hunger and thirst for the things of this world. They hunger and thirst for this right standing with God and with others. I've had experiences before where people have been to my house and they've been wanting me to sign up for, um, I'm just going to loosely say, an in-home business that I run. And one of the leading questions also often is, hey, would you like a nice boat? Would you like a, a new house, another house, a summer home? Would you like to be able to vacation wherever you want? And I have found an immediate resistance to this. Because, I mean, sure, that's fine. But if you're just going to ask me what I want and not load it, as a follower of Jesus, I would hope that my initial answer is, oh, man, I want want righteousness. I hunger and thirst for Jesus. And and I want to fully understand what this life is like and right standing with God. And then... I really long to be in right standing with those around me. I want to learn what it means to live well with others. But that's not the answer they're looking for. Because they they want me to be captured with the idea of making money. And so eventually the conversation might get around to, well, if you'd make a lot of money, you could give money to charity. 
Awesome. You're right. I actually think that's a very important thing to do if you make money at any level is to give things away. But it just struck me that the sales pitch is often this assumption that what I hunger for are things. I want toys. But that can't be my hunger. That can't be your hunger if you're a follower of Jesus. Our primary hunger is to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because, because listen, as a follower of Jesus, here's what's happened so far. We've understood the problem, poor in spirit. It's driven us to Christ. We mourned it. Um, we've become meek. That is, we've become harnessed. Now our lives, this means our loves, our desires, our focus, are harnessed into the service of Jesus. And now what this is going to lead me to is hungering and thirsting to know what that means. And to experience the one who has given me so much. So now, if someone asks us as Christians, what is it that you long for? I long for righteousness. And I wonder what it looks like to organize our lives in such a way that there's something to be said for the repetition of things, either writing it down or saying it out loud. It begins to orient us. It's a big thing I think prayer does is orient us properly. I wonder what it looks like if we would all on our bathroom mirrors put up a little sign that says, I hunger and thirst for righteousness, or Makarios are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And every time we go to the bathroom, and for some of us, that's an increasing amount, we see this little sign, and it reorients us throughout the day, over and over. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And I just wonder if these other things wouldn't fall away. Not that they're bad things, right? They're not bad things in and of themselves. But they're not the things that orient us. So this beatitude is a reminder. Before we think about what we should do for Christ, we should think about who we should be in Christ. Be the kind of people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We use language here in the church often, especially when we do communion, about this idea that we're meant to be broken and spilled out for others, just like Jesus was broken and spilled out for us. Okay, how do we get filled back up? We hunger and thirst for righteousness because we will be filled, right? That's the promise that we will have something that satisfies this craving in us. So in contrast, the miserable are those who are spiritually lazy. They're hungry, but they're pursuing food that's still in the camp. Because pursuing righteousness can be hard work. Uh, You take up a cross when you pursue righteousness, And so it's a challenge. It's difficult. And what is a lot easier sometimes at the moment is to pursue the things of the camp. That is, I I can distract myself with entertainment. I can distract myself with food, with shopping, with sex, with drugs. There's all these things that we can use. We feel this hunger and this craving, and we think we're supposed to fill it with something here, and the reality was it was never meant to satisfy that hunger and craving. And then we wonder why we continue to be hungry and thirsty. Why there's now this gnawing emptiness. It's what C.S. Lewis called an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. But when we do what the psalmist says, we taste and we see that the Lord is good. 
Ah, okay, that satisfies that thirst. And then I suspect what we get out of that, this ongoing life on this side of heaven, is, oh, that was good. I'd like more. Oh, that was good. I'd like more. We're now not craving because of this emptiness, but then we begin to long for that which has begun to fill us. And I think it's this glimpse on this side of heaven for what we get fully in the life to come. A little oasis that points us forward. So Jesus' next category in the Beatitudes is really the first one that specifies a particular kind of action that goes beyond um, pursuing Jesus and becoming a particular kind of people to what life looks like to those around us. And this is makarios are the merciful, those who reach beyond themselves and toward others. So being merciful involves the proper understanding of how we use our authority. If you're not in a position to hurt someone else, you're not in a position to be merciful. But all of us actually are in the position to hurt someone else with our words, with our presence. The more authority and power we get, the more our potential to do bad or to do good. So the reminder here is that makarios are the merciful. With great power comes great responsibility. Are you Spider-Man fan? fans. Uh, and speaking of that, if any of you have seen Spider-Man Far From Home, anybody? A couple of you? Okay, good. Uh, I was thinking about it last night because we went and saw it yesterday. Um, and I thought, it's actually a great contrast in that story of two people with power, a lot of power, and one of them uses their power to break the world, and the other one uses their power to build the world. One brings death, one brings life. And part of the struggle in the movie is for Peter Parker to come to grips with, I have this kind of power, what does it look like to use it responsibly? So, uh, the new Spider-Man is a devotional this week. <laughs> But the contrast then, the miserable people are the merciless. These are the ones who get an ounce of power. They want to turn it into a pound. I think of it as they pound people with power. They don't see their power as something given to them to be able to help others or to bring life to others or to be poured out for others. They get power and now they just want more. And now they have the power to take what is not theirs to take. Now they have the power to use what is not theirs to use. Now their focus is not on how I bring life to the world, but how do I bring life to me? And while this beatitude doesn't say it specifically, I think the corollary of Makarios or the merciful is miserable, or the unmerciful, the merciless. I mean, I mean, think about it. Have you ever met someone who seems to you to be going on that path and they seem happy? It, no, it is not a good life. And it builds its own kind of momentum. So the merciful are blessed for a very specific reason, because the mercy they show to others will be shown to them by God. I've heard discussion of this beatitude, and people are saying, oh, so if I'm merciful to others, they will show mercy to me? That often doesn't seem to work. That's not what the Beatitudes is actually saying. If you go to the commentaries, it seems to be a very specific thing. If you are merciful, God will show you mercy. Perhaps the people to whom you show mercy will not respond in kind, but you weren't doing it for them to respond in kind. You were doing it because God was merciful to us, and we pass on that mercy, and God will reward the passing on of his mercy to others.
Next, Makarios are the pure in heart. These are what I think of as the uncorrupted, this interior cleanliness. Now, once again, this side of heaven, we're not perfected. We get the joy of that in the world to come. So when I talk about interior cleanliness here, I'm not talking about never any struggles. What I'm talking about is if you just have this idea of, of cheating or stealing or lying or gossiping or becoming greedy instead of generous, when these thoughts come into our mind or they start to lodge into our hearts, they aren't the kind of thing that we dwell on and nurse so that they begin to bear bad fruit. I think the pure in heart are those who see those things come in and they recognize them for what they are and they go, no, thank you. This will not have a place in my heart. And they're blessed. They're Makarios, says Jesus. They'll see God. So what does that mean? I think it simply means they catch glimpses of God's nature. The, the more our interior is clean, the more we can appreciate the purity of God. The more we're able to reject all these sinful thoughts and desires and the more our hearts are oriented and aligned with the things of God, I think we learn more and more what it means to experience who God is. Because we're experiencing something about his character, his nature, his actions, his priorities. We get to experience that to some degree on this side of heaven. So the more we enter into that and commit to that, the, the more the reality of God opens up to us. So the miserable, the opposite of this, uh, are the devious or the corrupt in heart. And, and that's simply, once again, these temptations, these thoughts come in. They're going to. But now we begin to nurture them. Now we hold on to them instead of rebuking them. And now we're like, ah, stealing sounds pretty good. I could use the money. Um, and next thing you know, it starts to be a plan. And you're like, oh, I, I could lie and get out of this situation. I could cheat in this way. I could. And it becomes this thing that now becomes part of what we're dwelling on during the day. We're going to sleep at night. And rather than praying for God to take this from us, we're actually thinking about what it may like to experience it. And that builds this momentum in our lives where it becomes the thing that orient our lives and then it almost always inevitably becomes the thing that we do. And that's, that's the opposite of the pure in heart. And now when we do that, What's the tendency that we have when we begin to wallow in our sin? We have to look any further than Genesis. What did Adam and Eve do? Hid themselves. Okay, that's the opposite of walking with God and experiencing God and moving more deeply into that. Right? So there, there's something about the way in which we are oriented. Praying that God helps us to be pure in heart that God gives us the strength to reject these thoughts, these desires, that God through his Holy Spirit, his word, and his people puts boundaries not just in our lives but in our thoughts and in the loves of our hearts. And once we do that, we begin to see God. I was reading one commentary that said it this way, there'll be a gradual unveiling of God in the world. I like that imagery. And it seems that God has given us the ability, the free will, to make choices in such a way that we gradually unveil God in the world 
or we gradually veil God in the world. And we can begin to see and understand and experience God more clearly or less clearly. This can happen in the kingdom. I wonder sometimes if um, as we... uh, Okay, let me start this thought over again. I think most of us, if not all of us, who are following God have this desire to see God more clearly. We might struggle to do it well, but we'd like to. I think that's part of the reason we became Christians. But I think we can go about pursuing it in the wrong way. If we're looking for this gradual unveiling of God in the world, what do we do? Well, I think we can get caught up in this trap of thinking that if I go to this conference or I go to this church or I have this experience or I could see this miracle, then I will see God in the world and that will answer my questions and bring me this thing I'm looking for. Now, God can be seen and experienced in those things. Hear me say that clearly. God can be seen and experienced in those things. But if I look at the Bible and ask where to start, that's not where to start, actually. It's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I'm actually and going back a step now. That if we long to see God unveiled in the world, and I think the Beatitudes kind of build on themselves... We go back to, I hunger and thirst for righteousness. Then I will be filled. What happens when I'm filled? Now, as I'm struggling with this war within me, in my heart and mind and soul, now I'm being filled with the righteousness of God, and now that's being taken away, that's being diminished, and God is being unveiled for me in the world. This brings us to Makarios, uh, the peacemakers. So this is another step out. We have the merciful first. Now we have the peacemakers. And I happen to think the merciful are what we would call peacekeepers. When they see things around them uh, just in their life, they just show mercy. That's not going to create conflict, right? That's going to make things go well for everybody. But peacemakers is another discussion of how we use power. But this is a much more proactive one. This is now describing people who they see the world around them and they recognize I can go into that situation and I think I can offer something that will bring peace, that will resolve the conflict. And this can be hard because I think being peacekeepers is probably easier, though still difficult. Peacemakers gets us outside of ourselves. Now, we're not just trying to solve hostile environments that we might be in. We're looking around for hostile environments and going to them, which is a whole other territory. And when I say that, I think of things like war zones or where Christians are being persecuted or where there's something really obviously like violent going on. But the reality is we can become peacemakers in our homes, in our church, our place of work. We can be peacemakers anywhere. So let me ask an uncomfortable question. In your home right now, is there tension that you don't want to walk into? Okay, if you're a peacemaker, you walk into it. If you're a peacemaker, you walk into it. 
Parents, if you're not getting along with your kids and there is real tension there and you don't know what to do with it, you do not walk away from it. You walk into it because you are called to be a peacemaker. Now, you might need the help of other adults. You might need the help of a counselor. It might cost you money and time. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you want to experience makarios, you walk into that tension to make peace. Not to be right, to make peace. If you're married and you and your spouse have tension, there is not peace between you. Brothers and sisters, as a follower of Jesus, you do not have a choice. If you want to experience the makarios of life with Jesus, you walk into the tension. That might be with other people walking close to you. It might be with a counselor. It might be, and I'll put this list there, maybe you're terrible at it, and that's what's been holding you back. Every time we try to do this, it just blows up. Get some help. That's what we're here for. Kids, same things for you, you and your parents. Brothers and sisters. It feels really quiet in here. Listen, if I'm speaking to you in any way, can you just acknowledge it for me? I'm just curious. Is there something you need to be a peacemaker in in your life? Okay, good. I'm not alone. Yeah, listen, I, I feel like this is a transformative teaching in Scripture. One that God calls us to and thus will equip us for. We're not peacemakers on our own power because we're so smart and we have the right words. And we have the exact right attitude. That's not why we're peacemakers. We're peacemakers because we have the Holy Spirit of God in us. And we have God's word to guide us. And we are being transformed into the image of Christ. And we have the people of God around us who will bear one another's burdens. That's how we're peacemakers. Please, I beg you. If there is something that you see that you're in the position to go and make peace, I don't mean you have to butt into everybody's business. I mean, if there's something in front of you that you know I need to step in here, please, please step into it. And if you can't, if you think you can't do it on your own, you're absolutely right. That's why you pray like crazy and you bring people with you if you need to. Okay, I've said enough about that. Makarios are the peacemakers. The contrast is the miserable. Those who either disturb the peace or see the peace as disturbed and just don't care, even if they can do something about it. They leave a trail of discord. There's gossip. There's unforgiveness. There's a love of drama. There's the creation of drama if it's missing. There's violence. There's harshness. There's deliberate offense. Um, the opposite of a peacemaker is someone who just brings tension everywhere they go. And I'm not talking here about the tension that can come with truth. Because truth can bring attention, even if it's presented in the best possible way. I'm talking now about people who just don't care if the words that they choose or the attitude that they bring blow stuff up. 
lost my place. Hang on just a second. So the blessed of God's kingdom, they mourn the lack of peace. They take action to make peace. And in fact, Romans says, we are the children of God when we do that. And I think the idea, I was reading some commentaries on this. I mean, like, of course we're the children of God. What they mean is now we will be recognizable as children of God. Because Jesus is our peace. Jesus has made peace between us and God. God is called a God of peace. We claim to be the children of a God of peace. How will you recognize God's children when they are peace makers. They have that stamp of their creator, of their father on them. And then finally, Makarios are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. So it's in this group now, we see their life has been fully transformed, and now they are the kind of people who live boldly and purposefully in the kingdom. They take a stand where they need to take a stand. We could have a whole different discussion about the difference between taking a stand when someone comes against you for following and serving Jesus versus what it looks like if and when we should be going out and trying to make other people make a stand. We could talk about this in Message Plus. I believe this beatitude has to do with makarios are those who are standing firm in Christ and when other people attack them, that is when it will cost us something to be a follower of Jesus, we pay that cost willingly and boldly because we know the one in whom we serve and we're willing to do that. So I would just note that the cause for which we suffer is crucial. You're not Makarios just because people get mad at you. You might be a jerk. You might be a fool like Proverbs describes and still be a Christian and people get mad at you and you think being persecuted for righteousness sake but actually you're being called out because you're a fool. So let's not confuse those two things. This persecuted for righteousness sake, you need the previous list to understand what kind of person that you need to be going into these situations so that it's clear if you are persecuted, if you're made to pay a cost, it's very specifically because I took a righteous stand for Jesus and followed my conscience. I would love to talk about this more in Message Plus. Also, I think there's more to be say to say about this. The opposite, of course, is the comfortable. Uh, you'd never know they're a follower of Jesus because they never take a stand for Jesus. If they're ever pushed into some place that's uncomfortable, they're quick to give it up. They might show up for church on a Sunday morning and look good because it's easy on Sunday mornings to be a follower of Jesus because you're in a room with people who are on the same team. I'm, I'm talking about for someone when the going gets tough, they bail. That's called in the Old Testament, taking the Lord's name in vain. That you said, I give my allegiance to Jesus and I am a Christian. Give me the name with Christ in it. But then when push comes to shove, we don't want anything to do with that name because we're not allowed to do what we want. And that would be the opposite of Makarios and of blessed. That's now leading us to a life of misery. You weren't designed to live that way. You're going to have to live a, a life of hypocrisy because you're going to have to look this way to the Christians around you, but you know you don't live the other way. And now you hide. 
And now you know it's not right. It, there's misery that follows that kind of choice. So the Beatitudes have bookends, by the way. It starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit, they'll inherit the kingdom. Blessed are those where they're persecuted for righteousness' sake, they'll inherit the kingdom. And I think it might be the difference between the start and the culmination. The first one, the poor in spirit, is the start of the road to salvation. You're entering into the kingdom. I think the final, ultimate persecution where you inherit the kingdom is the eternal one. In, in other words, you're still blessed even if you are killed for the sake of Christ because what do you get? The kingdom of God forever. And so it's not that you pursue persecution excitedly, which was actually a problem in the early church for a time. It's just that you know on the other side of the pain is glory forevermore. So let's summarize. Life in the permanent kingdom through the Beatitudes. You enter into this Makarios life as you realize you're a broken, sinful beggar before God's door, you let this brokenness lead you to your Savior and healer, and you allow your heart, soul, mind, and strength to be harnessed in the service of the kingdom. That was all last week. We participate in the kingdom where we use our righteous, harnessed power in the service of others. We hunger for more of life in the kingdom with the king. We reach out to others in compassion. Our purified heart and mind see the start of God's unveiling in the world. We work to bring true harmony and reconciliation. And we're willing to pay the cost of belonging to Jesus. Now, when we're there, we're out of the camp that we thought was where we were supposed to be, but it wasn't. Now we're in the kingdom. Now we're in the permanent city. Now we're at the place where we're getting the grace and the favor and the provision that God has in mind for us. I want to close this morning with uh, basically the end of Hebrews because this is our last Sunday doing Hebrews, even though it really wasn't about Hebrews. But this seems like a fitting discussion, not just to the Beatitudes, but what the writer of Hebrews has been saying for the 13 chapters we've covered. Now may the God of peace who brought the great shepherd of the sheep, our Lord Jesus, back from the dead through the blood of the new everlasting covenant. May this God of peace perfect you in every good work as you work God's will. May God do in you only those things that are pleasing in his sight through Jesus the anointed, our liberating king, to whom we give glory always and forever. Amen. Lord, I am grateful that you're a God of peace, a great shepherd of us, your sheep. That through your resurrection, we've been ushered into a new covenant that you work to perfect us in every good work. That you work in us to bring about the things that are pleasing in your sight through Jesus. May we indeed, Lord, give glory always and forever. To you, the only one who deserves it. Pray this in your name. Amen. This has been a presentation of the Church of the Living God. For more information, please visit us at clgonline.org.